Well, what do you think? I mean, I mean, it's kind of a loaded question, isn't it? I mean, if it stinks, it stinks. It smells bad for everybody. Smell bad for you? Yeah. I mean, what do you want me to do? Make excuses for them? Quarterbacks are like dogs. I mean, if you throw them a treat, then they respond. You know, they'll they get smiles on their face, their tails wag, and you know, and then. Uh, you know, and then pretty soon they'll they'll be a little more affectionate towards you as far as throwing the ball your direction, you see. Ooh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And we got a great show lined up. We got two spring games to recap. We're closing out spring in the SEC. Reached out to a terrific guest. Going to talk some Georgia Bulldogs football with Brent. Rawlings of UGASports.com, and we've got some transfer portal news and notes across the SEC, as well as a little recruiting nugget for uh, fans out there in Fayetteville. So, loaded show. Let's get right into the action. And, hey, (laughs) Nick Saban, when he throws, uh, you know, these threats out there, whether it's transfer portal, NIL, what have you, Something that uh, we had mentioned on a previous show could be happening has indeed happened. Louisville's fastest player, team leading touchdown receiver, Tyrell Harrell, has made it official. He was at the A-Day spring game. He is headed to play for Nick Saban there in Tuscaloosa. Just another weapon for the Alabama Crimson Tide offense. And Harrell, if you missed it before, we've kind of touched on this 18 catches 559 yards receiving and six touchdowns last season for Louisville. Again, he was noted as uh, their fastest player. Apparently runs a 4-2, one of the fastest players in the country. So they'll have Harrell to kind of fill into that Jamison Williams role. Not calling this guy Jamison Williams. I don't think he's that caliber, but he can fit into that role. Of course, they've already got Jermaine Burton from Georgia to kind of play that John Menchie role. So, The Alabama offense, they don't rebuild, they reload, and they do it via the transfer portal in this cycle. So another weapon for Bryce Young and company because they're kind of having to rebuild their receiving core. They've got talent down there, but now they're getting experienced guys that uh, have made big plays at the college stage. So watch out for old (laughs) Alabama this year, as always. But – they're not the only ones getting help on the uh, via the transfer portal. Kentucky, nice little pickup here. The Wildcats, uh, they were in need of picking up a defensive back exiting spring, and they got former Ole Miss defensive back, guy with SEC experience, uh-oh, Kendron Smith, transferred officially to Kentucky. This was on uh, Friday, I believe he, he made it official. He's played 47 games with 22 starts. For the Ole Miss Rebels, a very experienced player Smith is. 223 tackles, 21 passes defended, 5 forced fumbles, 5 interceptions, 8 tackles for loss. Kentucky's another one. They've been losing some uh, marquee players this offseason to the NFL. They They really needed to get some experience back there in the defensive secondary. That's their biggest question mark with uh, their loaded linebacking core. Very talented defensive line. If they can shore up this uh, secondary, which is Mark Stoops' specialty back here, 
They can shore that up. Kentucky is looking like they could have one of the more formidable defenses, not only in the SEC, but in the country next season. And uh, one more here, Mississippi State, right before I hopped on the pod here. Nice pickup for the Bulldogs. They landed former Florida State defensive back Hunter Washington. He only played in one game at Florida State, but uh, he was a member, four-star member of the uh, 2021 recruiting cycle. Florida Special Teams Scout Player of the Year in his only season there at Tallahassee. So you got to imagine Mississippi State's happy to get Hunter Washington getting a uh, a Texas native, a, like I said, a four-star recruit. I believe he was a top 250 prospect in the country. I look for him to potentially make an impact right away from Mississippi State special teams and hopefully on Zach Arnett's defense before long. Now, hopefully, Arkansas fans, you're getting this. Uh, <laughs> you're not waiting to listen to the podcast because a little nugget for you here. The Razorbacks, if you don't know, currently have the SEC's number two recruiting class behind only Georgia, and they may be jumping the Bulldogs here on Monday because Arkansas off to a terrific start in the 2023 recruiting cycle, but the one position that they're missing, and it's unusual to have this much success on the recruiting trail and not have a quarterback committed to the class. Usually that's how it works. You get your quarterback, that's your lead recruiter, players fall in in front of them, but Arkansas is kind of doing inside out. They're they're attacking the trenches. They got a bunch of tight ends. But they may soon be getting their quarterback because on Monday, 3 o'clock Central Time, Georgia native Malachi Singleton is set to decide. Arkansas is uh, one of his finalists here, so be on the lookout for that. Razorbacks, again, a four-star quarterback out of the state of Georgia, announcing his commitment on Monday at 3 o'clock. Malachi Singleton is his name and uh, 2021 Cobb County Offensive Player of the Year his junior season Cobb County Offensive Player of the Year his sophomore season Georgia 3-6A Offensive Player of the Year he scored 91 touchdowns and over 6,000 total yards from scrimmage the last two seasons combined so Malachi Singleton be on the lookout for his recruitment here which is going to be coming to an end here on Monday Razorback fans if you can get your quarterback and then maybe you build out the rest of the class around that. But that, if he commits to Arkansas, Razorback's going to have the number one class in the SEC once again, and uh, they'll be done recruiting the game's most important position for this recruiting cycle. But now it's on to the spring games here on Saturday. I could, <laughs> You know, you always got to be careful what you take away from these spring games. I see your guys' comments and reactions. Spring games, what in the hell do they mean? Why are you covering these things? Because we got nothing else to cover this time of year. That's the honest truth. But I think there are some things you could take away from it. And, and more than anything, you know, you never look at a spring game or a spring game performance and say, all right, this guy's going to win this job. This guy has no shot. That's not the way it works. That's not the way I look at it. For me, it's more about the eye test and how things are going. You know, everything you hear leading up into camp, how's that going to lead into the summer? And will that transition into fall camp? So take everything with a grain of salt. But let's start in Baton Rouge, where, of course, front and center of this quarterback competition. And just based on what we saw on Saturday, based on uh, what we were being told leading up to it, you know, I think Walker Howard, the true freshman, has got a bright future ahead of him. But clear, he's the odd man out here. I think this is a three-man race. Jaden Daniels, the Arizona State transfer. Miles Brennan. 
Seems like he's going into his ninth year there in Baton Rouge. And Garrett Nussmeyer. Now, Nussmeyer is the one that we talked about just last week, making a move, very consistent. This is not a two-man race. It's a three-man race. And that continued to be the case here in the spring game, in my opinion. Jaden Daniels got the first snap of the game. Miles Brennan came out second. But the player at the quarterback position for LSU that impressed me the most, Garrett Nussmeyer, first three possessions, all scoring drives, a field goal drive, which went down into the red zone, and then touchdown, touchdown. Garrett Nussmeyer, uh, I just thought the most complete quarterback of the four that we saw on the field on Saturday in Baton Rouge. And I'm starting to think there's a real chance that Garrett Nussmeyer is going to be the guy. Now, you got to think Jaden Daniels has got a real shot with all his experience at Arizona State. And certainly this coaching staff sees something in him. They would not have brought him in to kind of rock his boat if uh, they were just planning on sitting him. But he looked shaky. I mean, he looked the most mobile. And that's something we're going to have to consider because the LSU offensive line still very much a work in progress. We got a first look at Will Campbell, the outstanding true freshman at left tackle. But the fact that you're starting a true freshman gives you an indication of how shaky this offensive line could be. Multiple transfers trying to work them in. And at times, we even had Miles Brennan had to switch units because the offensive line could not protect him. That played a factor. So if the offensive line really is a big issue, are we going to roll out uh, inexperienced Garrett Nussmeyer? Maybe not. Maybe we put out the more experienced Jaden Daniels who can run when plays break down, when the when the protection's not there. But Miles Brennan also, he looked solid in this game. Uh, it took him a little while to get going, but once he started getting in a rhythm, some really great throws. One to Brian Thomas was particularly impressive I thought uh, of the three guys Jaden Daniels was the least impressive throwing the ball but the most impressive running the ball and I would probably give the most impressive passing the ball to Garrett Nussmeyer with a mix of his ability to run so he's a little bit uh, of all of them and you gotta think that uh, I believe Miles Brown's got one year of eligibility Jaden Daniels I think has two even though he played three years at Arizona State so uh, it's my understanding Jaden Daniels is kind of thinking one year into the NFL. But if it's a tie between two players that have one to two years of eligibility and Garrett Nussmeyer, who's got four years of eligibility, I know at LSU we've always got the win now mentality, but I got to think, again, I think the coaching staff is going to lean towards a player that they can build around. It's going to have multiple seasons of eligibility. So that's just something to consider. I think late in the game, Jaden Daniels started to come on. He had a couple nice passes, including a touchdown. He had a touchdown pass to Jack Besh, who he had a hell of a game. Love to see Besh continuing that momentum he had from his uh, freshman year. Malik Neighbors, the receiver. I mean, LSU seems to be kind of loaded with the first team at receiver. But one position that uh, may be even more loaded for the LSU Tigers, and that's running back. And that's saying something, considering the fact that we've got issues at, on offensive line. Armani Goodwin, he was incredible. He's got a little Clyde's a layer to him. Smaller, tougher, physical, but explosive running back. He had perhaps the most impressive day of any player on the field. Scored, uh, He was a weapon in the passing game, scoring touchdowns out here. Trey Bradford looked solid, had a 37-yard rush in the ballgame. 
And even John Emery, a guy we've been waiting to see, he flashed a little bit. So LSU should be very deep at the running back position. And that's before we even get to uh, Josh Williams, who I believe he scored multiple touchdowns. So, again, LSU looks to be loaded at running back. The offensive line, of course, is going to be the big question mark and this quarterback competition going into training camp. But my money right now, after what we've seen on Saturday, what I heard in camp, I think Garrett Nussmeyer is going to be your starting quarterback for LSU. But certainly things could change. They've got to, He's got to carry over that momentum into training camp. Jaden Daniels, Miles Brennan certainly aren't going away. So uh, this is going to be a race that probably bleeds into right before uh, the season opener there against Florida State in New Orleans. So that's certainly going to be one of the biggest storylines in the SEC entering fall camp. And exiting the spring, here's what Brian Kelly had to hit on a number of things. The quarterback competition, of course, he was going to get asked about that on Garrett Nussmeyer in particular, and uh, on the offensive line. I mean, he really harps on this unit. He knew when he took the job, this is going to be the position group they had to attack, and they have, and the progress that group has made. Let's kick it over to Brian Kelly. How important was it to get the run game established with you guys did? Do you feel like that's going to be important of your team's identity? Yeah, so when we came you know, in here, um, I think we all knew that one of the areas that was a must was that if you're going to have any success you you have to strengthen the offensive line here and so um it's been a point of emphasis and then we've got to run the football uh if you're going to win the sec west uh you have to be able to um you got to really run the football and today's not you know we're not here to <laughs> bang the drum and say we've arrived but there had to be some semblance of uh, we've made progress in that end, and, and I think we can say that we did, uh, and we emphasized it, and now we can go and look at right, what are the things that we do well, and what do we need to do better? And, and so I think that that's the exam, right? Um, what did we learn from the spring? Um, what did we do well, and, and what can we do better? Um, how do you balance Nussmeyer being a young guy and, you know, you want him to maybe correct things in his game as he grows with being a talented quarterback and going out there and, you know, throwing well? Don't overcoach it. I mean, you can get, you know, it can be, you know, paralysis by analysis, right? You know, you, you, you start to overcoach that and then he starts to pull back a little bit and then you lose a really good quarterback too. So you've got to be careful there. Um, I think you just, you, you know, you try to coach them uh, on the things that matter the most, and that is taking great care of the football. I mean, he's going to make some mistakes. You know, I make mistakes, you know. I know you don't. I mean, but everybody else does. Um, but And I don't mean that in any other way. I'm just making the point that he's going to make mistakes, you know. And so it's just one of those things that I think you got to be careful with a guy like that that's really talented, that you don't try to overcoach that. Um and make sure he takes care of the football. If he does that, you know, if he makes a mistake here or there with the talent that he has, just go play football. But um, by and large, I, I thought the offensive line got better as, as the, the, you know, the game went on. And, you know, the one thing that you all want to know about is, you know, we didn't clear up anything with the quarterback today. We probably made it even more difficult. 
Um, you know, I mean, Brennan was good today, right? I mean, he 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 does really good things with the football. Um, he knows the offense. He's smart. Um, he takes care of it. Uh, Nussmeyer, we talked about Nussmeyer's athletic ability, his arm strength. Um, Daniels is really, really fast, and Walker's got one of the strongest arms on the team. So I don't know if we cleared up anything there, and we know defensively that front is really, really good. The safety's tackled so much better today. So that's kind of a synopsis. Are we done? That was pretty good, wasn't it? I don't know how many wins that equals, um, but that makes us more competitive. And then, of course, the other game we had on Saturday, the Ole Miss Rebels hitting the field to end spring there in Oxford. And, whew, rough day for Jackson Dart. That's what I could say about that. I mean, that this was something Kiffin had talked about. These quarterbacks seem to be hot and cold. And Altmaier, I, I wouldn't particularly say he was hot, but he was certainly the better quarterback of the two, Jackson Dart, forcing things left and right. Uh, I thought even Kincaid Dent, the, the number three quarterback, came in and looked more impressive than Jackson Dart. So uh, he's got to clean thing, some stuff up there. Jackson Dart, of course, you know, just got there. It's not like he's going to be mastering the offense after uh, 15 practices. And Kiffin said this thing is certainly going into training camp, much like the LSU battle. Of course, that's what you got to say nowadays if you're a coach because you don't want these guys jumping in the portal. But – Luke Altmaier had himself a day. I will say both quarterbacks, Dart and Luke Altmaier, they showcased a little bit more mobility than I thought they had. And, you know, Luke Altmaier, it looked uh, like he was not quite ready last season as a true freshman. They certainly did, did not expect him to play, particularly in some marquee. He, he got in action, I believe, was the Auburn game. And, of course, the Sugar Bowl, those moments, those were supposed to be times when Matt Corral was going to shine. So it's understandable, Luke Altmaier, you know, it's not, not a game-breaking quarterback his first fall there in Oxford. But he seemed to take a real step forward, I thought, during this uh, spring game and this camp. So, And the biggest thing is he wasn't making the mistakes. That's something that Jackson Dart, I mean, he had multiple interceptions, one pick six. one Another one should have been a pick six, but a, uh, a bad call. On, uh, on the run back, <laughs> stopped another pick six. Uh, but, you know, it wasn't all doom and gloom here for Ole Miss because Michael Trigg, the guy they were hyping up, the tight end, Jackson Dart's roommate, former Southern Cal teammate, man, that guy's legit. Scored multiple touchdowns. He, he's just the go-to guy in the red zone. Scored a, a two-point conversion as well. He is going to probably break some records down there at Ole Miss when we're talking about productivity from the tight end position. And that's saying something because they, they've had Kenny Yaboa had a great year. They've had Evan Ingram, uh, Dawson Knox. But I think this Michael Trigg is more talented than any of them uh, based on what I've been hearing and based on what I saw on Saturday. So, Michael Trigg, you got yourself one hell of a tight end there for the Ole Miss Rebels. He's going to be a star this fall for the Rebels. Uh, I thought the offensive line, particularly the, the second offensive line for Ole Miss, very shaky. And that could have played a – Part why Jackson Dart struggled. It was the the unit that was paired with him that particularly had a rough performance. But as Kiffin says here in a little bit, you know the defensive line that may be the strength of the team. So it may just be that the Ole Miss defensive line is that much better. That is a position that they have attacked via the transfer portal, including uh, the Georgia State transfer Ivy. He, I mean, he looked great. 
Uh, Isaiah Wolfer, the running back, had maybe the play of the day, 56-yard touchdown run, several broken tackles during that touchdown. And how about this guy they got from this? You know, when they got him, I was like, okay, I mean, I guess that's added depth. We already know they got Zach Evans, but Eusele's Bennett, the transfer from SMU, he looked great. Reminded me of uh, another Rebel that <laughs> had a hell of a career, Dexter McCluster. That's who he reminds me of. I got him. A guy that can play running back, play receiver, probably return kicks for you. He had some star plays in this spring game. So, Eusele's Bennett, that is another name to know. And Kiffin has just got to be beside himself that he's got guys like Trigg, Eusele's Bentley here. He's got Zach Evans, all these new toys to play with. I cannot wait to see what they look like this fall in Oxford. And, uh, again, a lot of unknowns here for the uh, the Ole Miss Rebels. And that is uh, something that Lane Kiffin continues as spring has come to an end here in Oxford. Let's kick it over to Kiffin talking about the defensive line, how much he likes them. Jackson Dart struggling in this game. The uh, up and down play of uh, both quarterbacks in camp. And a timeline for naming a starting quarterback for Ole Miss. Who likes the defensive line was making farther ahead than that? Yeah, I think our defensive line has been deeper all camp um, or spring. And, you know, some of those guys being new have added that. I think by far that's our biggest positional change. If you went from when we got here to now uh, would be that group. You know, went from, you know, I would say our weakest link um, to maybe our strongest. So that's good. And it looked like the second offensive line played better. Now again, very limited in what they're seeing on defense. That helps too. Yeah, not a very good first half. Um, thought he was trying to win the job instead of just playing quarterback and forcing balls and um, not being very consistent. So just talked to him before the half, you know, about you know calming down and taking one play at a time. And uh, thought he did some better things in the second half. You said the other day that. Um, with those two guys, it kind of seemed like one day one would be playing well and the other wasn't, and you know another day it'd be the opposite. Was that kind of like a little bit more like what you saw today a little bit? And uh, yeah. yeah, that would be considered Luke's day in that way. You know, Jackson made some mistakes early, and um, Luke seemed to play really consistent. Um, you know, and not force things. What's kind of your off-season message for for both those quarterbacks? And I, I guess like how far away I guess would you say you are in terms of? Again, we don't have to make a decision today, so we got a lot of time left. And um, you know, Jackson just got here, and you know, Luke's had a year ahead of him, so um, I would hope Jackson would continue to improve. Uh, you know, with more time in our system uh, throughout fall camp. All right, final thing on the show here. I think you guys are really, really going to enjoy this. Brent Rollins from UGASports.com, part of the Rivals Network, covers the Georgia Bulldogs, does an outstanding job. This was first time Brent's been on the show. Really fun conversation. Let's kick it over to him. All right, we're pleased for the first time to be joined by Brent Rawlings. He covers the Georgia Bulldogs for UGASports.com, and he's the host of an outstanding podcast, if you're not following it already, Bulldogs by the Numbers. Brent, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. Pleasure to be here. Now, I want to give you a layup to start this thing. 
how scared is Dog Nation that old Billy Napier's down there at Florida? I mean, is that slim and none? Is that like <laughs> slim to none? I mean, I, really and truly, I, I think you probably see the utmost of confidence now, Georgia fans. They were probably confident prior to you know, this past January, but now it's there's probably a confidence level that is uh, through the roof uh, with, with Georgia fans. Now, now I know I'm just kind of kidding with that, but is it? Do you think it will be odd that um, I don't know how close uh, Billy Napier and Kirby Smart are, but I gotta imagine that relationship's a heck of a lot better than Dan Mullen and Kirby Smart. I mean, who knows? They they were on the same staff, obviously at Alabama, uh, but you know, it's, it's one of those things where, yeah, I, I think Dan probably rubbed many uh, the wrong way in terms of uh, his his own. Uh, behavior he's an interesting character that's for sure now i don't want to steal your thunder you did tweet this out and i saw that you said you're going to share your comments uh, over the weekend i don't plan on putting this out till monday so feel free to uh again i'm not trying to steal your thunder but you posed the question to georgia fans stetson bennett what do you think georgia needs from him next season uh where are you leaning in that conversation so I kind of took that a different way. And, and what's interesting is a lot of the fans, a lot of the responses, and even and what kind of got it started was a, a conversation on the dog vent on UJSports.com, where basically the question was posed and talking about from a statistical perspective, would Stetson Bennett, could he possibly see himself in the Heisman race? And I look at that from a different angle. And basically what I did in the piece is talk about what it is they need from him above and beyond numbers like the in, almost independent of the numbers. And the answer to that to me is he needs to be a professional quarterback. And now what do I mean by that? It's because you think, you think about it, there's kind of an interesting dynamic at play with him because I think I counted, if you say, if you get two of the QBs that are drafted in the, in the next week's draft, they end up starting day one for their team. You know, somebody like Malik Willis and maybe Ritter or Corral or whoever starts week one. That means that 11 of the 32 quarterbacks that start week one in the NFL will be younger than Stetson Bennett. Kyler Murray is about to be on his fourth season. He is 82 days older than Stetson Bennett. Like, so him, he is a, he's an adult who's playing college quarterback. He might be, you know, if he was, if he had thrown some passes to Oscar Delp, I don't know if it was, he actually completed, completed any in the, in the G day game, but true freshman Oscar Delp. I mean, he's almost seven years older than people that he might be throwing the ball to. So you need him to be a true pro and that's attention to detail. It's the leadership stuff that he already brings, but it's attention to detail in his footwork and how he goes through pre-snap reads, how he goes through his his mechanics. Don't get loose with your mechanics, be strong and, and just highly organized, highly specific, highly detailed in those areas. And then lastly, to me, the biggest thing is the decision-making. Like there are times, and I think every Georgia fan would tell you every Stetson game, there's like one or two throws where you're just like, what in the world are you doing? And even Kirby commented a little bit about after the, uh, the spring game, I think in terms of getting rid of the boneheaded plays in his career, he has, I think it's 20 over the past two seasons. Let's just think about over the past two seasons, 27 big time throws, which is PFF's highest graded throw. uh, And then 19 turnover worthy plays. It's a little less than 1.5 to 1 in terms of that ratio. 
if you want to truly be and step into that elite category as a quarterback, that at minimum needs to be two to one. And ideally goal would be about two to five, 2.5 to one where he's got about 25 big time throws, 10 turnover worthy plays. And if he does that, when you do that, when you look at all of that and you combine the defensive step back that has to happen, like it's inevitable that, you know, the historic defense that was last year will not be the same, but you combine that with more opportunity, you might find yourself at the end of the season and you look up and he's got 3,500 yards and 33 touchdowns and maybe seven picks. And if you're 30, that kind of numbers, plus being on a top four, top three, top two team, you're going to find yourself at least in the discussion and in the race for the Heisman. Mm. Now, how big of a deal do you think it was that Georgia was able to keep Amarius Mims? Uh, you know, he went in the transfer portal, obviously well-documented comeback. Florida State thought they got him, but that tackle position is, is such a premium. How big is that for Georgia, which Mims may not even be a starter, but he's certainly got a bright future ahead of him. I think it's big for the kid as much as it is for the program. I think Georgia would be fine. They're going to they, – like true freshman, Ernest Green, that guy's legit – Legit as they come as a true freshman who I think could have even possibly and potentially start at some point this season, whether that's due to injury or whether that's just due to being better uh, than, than somebody that's already there at any point position really on other than possibly center on the line. But for the kid, I think it's just one of those where you be in that you come back to that versus right now you go somewhere where they hand you something, hand you a job, go throw you into the fire. Like it, it's, he has got, from a physical standpoint, there are physical skills that that kid has that just don't exist and don't exist in large quantities. And that's why it was as high rated as crude as he was. And that's why they've, you know, I think they've probably said, hey, all right, sure, come on back, as opposed to, you know, see you later, never come back. Uh, and I think it's just as much as it's important for the team and the depth, uh, it's as important for the kid because the depth thing is, is real as well. Mm -hmm. Now, how in the world – is Georgia going to utilize all these tight ends? I know you covered it for UGASports.com, but Brock Bowers, probably the best tight end in the country. Arie Gilbert, who looked, to me, he looked a little out of shape. He's scoring multiple touchdowns in the spring game. That's just how dominant he could be. Darn Darnell Washington, you mentioned Oscar Delp already. I mean, are we going to see a four tight end set here, or what's going on? You could. I know one thing. It's Here's the, the fact that you even have that conversation, that you say, could we see it? The fact you can even say that just goes to show how loaded that room is. But I think it's one of the things that that because of Bowers that Kirby Smart and Todd Monken have sort of fallen into where it's like, hey, we do this and we run two tight end sets, possibly even three tight end sets more than not necessarily more than anyone, because there's other teams that do it very frequently, but we do it better. Than anyone, and in the age of Ohio State having three, you know three eventual probably first round picks, you know what LSU had with Chase and Jefferson and Marshall, like in that world, like Kirby says, all right, we can be unique and be different and be sort of special offensively, and still be physical in the run game and still kind of play how they want to play. I think they've kind of stumbled onto, in essence, what Kirby Smart looks at as his perfect level of offense where it's a combination of explosive, unique with the tight ends and creating mismatches, and then also still be physical and, and predominantly run, and run kind of run dominated. 
Now, speaking of Todd Munkin, were you surprised at all that uh, he didn't get a little bit more recognition last season? Because, you know, maybe it's understandable because that defense was otherworldly, you know, literally maybe the best of all time. Yet the offense was, in my opinion, basically elite all off season, all season. But, uh, you know, it didn't seem like Munkin got a lot of respect. I don't even think he was a, a semifinalist for the, uh, the Broyles Award when I think he should have been. Do you think Todd Munkin gets enough credit? I mean, he gets paid really, really, really well. <laughs> and if you're if you're looking at that in terms of the, the way you define cred, I think he he uh, he gets paid quite handsomely uh, as an offensive coordinator. But from a media perspective, I do think you're right in that the defense and the because what we're about to see like eight maybe guys off of that defense picked in the top 100, like it's it's a next level legit all time type defense, and because of that it's always the starting point for the conversation. But what Georgia did offensively, especially from year one of Munkin to year two, and how he evolved in using more play action, using the screen game more, and basically accentuating sets and Bennett's strengths that caused them to – they other, outside of Ohio State, they were the most explosive passing offense on a percentage basis in the country, in the Power Five. Like, it, they were that – sort of next level explosive. And it, obviously it helps to have guys like Lab McConkie with crazy speed and Brock Bowers that can take a five yard catch and turn it seven into 70. But, you know, he created those opportunities and he's done a phenomenal job of evolving that sort of explosive offense while also blending in the physical running game. Where do you think Georgia is at running back? Do you think they're satisfied with the guys they've got? I mean, Edwards, he stepped up in the spring game. He looked great. We all know Kendall Milton, the talent he's flashed, but you're losing Cook and Zeus to the NFL. Uh, you know, that that's a position group. I think um, I'm not saying Georgia's got an issue there, but uh, do you think uh, they're pleased with where they're at or do you think they'll look to potentially add someone via the transfer portal if possible? I don't think they'll look to add because they got two incoming freshmen, Branson Robinson. I think the Andrew Paul kid, like th those kids are going to come and provide the depth that typically you would see. But those top three, especially when you think the top two, when you look at Milton and McIntosh, you know, but KMs, Kendall Milton, Kenny McIntosh, like that's your Zeus and Cook combination. Whereas McIntosh can truly be a threat as a receiver, and he's one of the highest graded from PFF standpoint, one of the highest graded uh, receivers, receiving backs returning, and even last season. But that combination. Now, for me, the thing that I want to see from, especially from Kendall Milton, is the ability to go stay on the field. He's been there two years, and at very at some point within each of the seasons, even multiple points within those seasons, he's not been able to play. So if he can consistently stay on the field, I think you see you know a really good season from him and a really good season from both of them, where almost I think their stats could be borderline identical. From a you know they each have about 750 rushing. Now if you see any sort of injuries within the two, because but like I said, both of them have really missed time at some point in their career. Dejan Edwards is a more than capable back uh, as as that sort of third guy, and that guy's going to get touches. They they rotate in the way they the way they play consistently. That guy's going to get touches, and you maybe even find like a Branson Robinson that comes in and gets you know a touch here or there, kind of like Kendall Milton did his freshman year. Now you alluded to. The draft less than a week away now, and you know Georgia. We're going to see bulldog after bulldog after bulldog selected. So who's the next generation of elite 
defenders that are going to emerge in Athens. And I don't even know if you could throw Jalen Carter in there because it seems like he's already slotted as maybe the top pick of the next round. So maybe even looking beyond him, who are the guys that, that are going to step up for Kirby Smart and company on, on the defensive side of the ball? You obviously mentioned the primary one. Like it, it's it's funny you see that throughout sort of the the draft Twitter Twitter world that oh I'm watching this and I'm watching this but I can't take my eyes off 88 <laughs> because he's that good and he's that special. He's he's unreal as as a talent and I think definitive outside of you know having insane levels of quarterback seasons he's probably the first non skill player off the board next year. But after him, Keely Ringo is going to be a shutdown level corner for them, size, speed, all that comes into play there. You have two very experienced players in the secondary. I think they're going to provide a lot of help in uh, Christopher Smith and William Poole, who kind of came back for that extra year, could have gone and, and went to the league, but but came back, those guys. And then after that, I think it's going to be, all right, who's next in terms of just, there's going to be a lot of guys that get opportunities and picking who that one might be it's because you're going to see like, four or five linebackers play probably. You're going to see six, seven deep, various defensive linemen play that are going to get opportunities. It's, all right, who becomes that next guy? I think one for me, especially watching the spring game, uh, was Tyrion Ingram, Ingram Dawkins. He's going to play that Trayvon role and, and you know, be that sort of strong side defensive end that uh, can kick inside a lot of times on passing downs. I think he's one. And then I think you see, you hope, you expect you see kind of a, a, a jump in a way from Nolan Smith. Nolan Smith's been really good, really good as a run defender the entirety of his career. But as a pass rusher, it's just kind of been flash here, flash there, but not really consistency. If you can get that a level of consistency from him and a step, step up from him, I think he pushes himself into that, you know, late first kind of second round edge type player next in next year's draft. Now, Brent, I recently heard you, I believe it was on Chuck Oliver's show where you were talking about just the, uh, you know, the team philosophy on the defense for Georgia and, and that plays a part in why you don't see a, you know, they don't, they don't typically have a guy with 10 to 12 sacks because they spread the wealth. Can you kind of rehash that for uh, my audience here? Sure. And, and I think it's, when you look at what Kirby Smart has done defensively over the years, I think it's his evolution to saying, all right, as the spread offense, has become more and more of a thing. And you know, look at what Josh Heupel does at Tennessee, and he's truly extending, much like Art Browse, extending teams from sideline to sideline, RPOs, QB run game. To be able to defend all of it, you have to play a team defensive style that lends itself to team success on a consistent basis. And what is that? And I think a lot of what gets this started is the Trayvon Walker discussion. You know, hey, how is a guy who's who had, you know, so few sort of from a production stats uh, or sacks basis going to go in the top three. It's because of how he was used. And he was used in, in the team defensive philosophy that, that I think Kirby Smart employs, where guys have roles and guys have specific jobs, and it's all about what's going to create the most success. And that's why you see oftentimes from them, their linebackers are you know, like N'Kobe Dean, Roquan Smith in 2017 were the leading you know, guys in terms of sacks and pressures and things like that because they've figured out, hey, this is how we best defend the offenses that we go against. And thus, you know, Trayvon Walker, out of his 17 quarterback hits and, and sacks that he had in the last two years, only two of which were he, him really just on the edge, pin his ears back, and go after the quarterback, do whatever he wants kind of thing. 
for the most part, he had a, you could see that he had a specific plan within how he works within the framework of the defense. And they've had some of their coaches have done some clinics recently that have been posted online and talk about sort of the philosophical piece with that. And I think just the big picture philosophical piece is that, Hey, we play a team defensive style. That's not necessarily going to highlight one guy over another, but it's, we ask these guys to sacrifice and be a part of something that you know, you're going to, and that's why you've seen each and every year that they're in the teens in terms of points allowed and no matter what they do. And even this year, they're, they're going to, they're going to stop the run. Like it's their, their style and the, with how they play defense and how they coach it, they're going to stop the run. It's just about, can they uh, slow people, teams down in the passing game? Now, if you, if Georgia does attack the transfer portal, is there one or two position groups that you'd like to see them address if you think they go that route? Uh, safety depth might be one that I, I could see, uh, depending upon how you know how Tyke Smith, who was a transfer from West Virginia last year that tore his ACL, how he's coming along. Do they see him truly uh, contributing? I would hope they, they think they get some of that. Uh, outside of that, I really don't see them unless a – true difference maker on the defensive side of the ball and maybe even on the defensive line pops open in the transfer portal, which you know hasn't happened yet. Uh, I don't, I don't see them. I, I would assume this is the year to, Hey, go play the young guys and see what we got. Mm -hmm. All right. Last thing for you, Brent, really appreciate all your time. How tired are you of being asked about Arch Manning? <laughs> well, it's, it's what's interesting is that I actually, me personally, I don't get asked a lot about Arch Manning, but uh, just because I'm not, the guy who's in and covering the recruiting at like the highest of levels. But I do like random people that, you know, friends that I talk to is like, what do you think about that? Here's the key. You're in, you're in it. You're, you're in it. You're involved. You're, you're a potential place to that. He's going to come. And because, and because of that, because of what you've built. And I think not necessarily what you've built from a winning standpoint, but what you've built from, Hey, we weren't a pro style offense. We, you know, we're a mix of under center shotgun, play action, all this sort of NFL level passing concepts. You're going to, it's not, you're not going to be someone whose uh, average depth of target is seven yards down the field. You're going to push the ball down the field and do the things that the NFL teams want to see. I think that's where, that's the sort of good part of that is that you've done these things to where he's looking at it and saying, all right, this is a place I could see myself coming. And, and I think they're going to be in it till the end. It's just a matter of you know, where the kid wants to go, because I would envision just thinking about that, the, the history of the family that he much like Peyton and then much like Eli as well, kind of want to blaze their own trail. And thus, that's why you see Texas, Alabama, Georgia, you, know, you don't see Ole Miss, you don't see uh, schools that, you know, their family has kind of been linked to in, in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and if nothing else, Georgia may have a little ace up their sleeve when you look at Texas and their lack of ability to, to develop offensive linemen. And we're even seeing that a little bit now at Alabama. I mean, they're having to add Vanderbilt transfers to shore up their whole – that's not a good sign to me. You know what? No, I, I completely agree. And, and you keep guys in the, pro, in the program. And that offensive line play is one where it's, it's such a – you think about, all right, when Georgia – when Matt Luke decided to uh, retire and, and step away. All right. Who are you going to hire as an offensive line coach? It's not one of the positions where it's like, Oh, instantly everybody that's a fan can think of 10 names, 
because a lot, oftentimes the great ones are just – you just don't necessarily know about it. You just know that, hey, Kentucky's O-line is always good every year. Wisconsin's O-line is always good every year, those kind of things, as opposed to the names themselves. All right, Brent, I'm going to let you go. I really, really appreciate all this outstanding knowledge. Give Brent a follow at Brent Rawlings, Ph.D., a little humble brag there. And check out all his work at UGASports.com. And don't forget to check out the Bulldogs by the Numbers podcast. Thank you so much, Brent. I, I really appreciate it. Very much. Thank you for having me. All right. So just want to say thanks again, Brent, for joining the show. Some outstanding insight here on the Georgia Bulldogs. And hopefully I didn't piss off too many Gator fans. Shane was the one that made me ask that first question. Just so you know, if you're mad, get mad at Cousin Shane. He wanted to, to stir the pot. A little bit here on a Monday but uh, other than uh, the little gator ribbon there some outstanding stuff I thought from Brent he really knows his stuff give him a follow at Brent Rawlings PhD and how about that man I mean PhD how can you how can you debate a guy like that you know it so <laughs> but hey that's gonna do it for this episode of the show start your week strong here with the net monday edition of that sec podcast and stay tuned i know spring has come to an end in the sec a somber time indeed but we're gonna have guys jumping into the portal galore because we got that may 1 deadline coming up so there's gonna be a lot on that i've already started to reach out to a number of guests gonna try to to have more guests like brent to kind of recap spring across the sec some of the teams we've not been able to talk about the last couple of weeks have uh, some more insight on what's going on all across the SEC. So the content is going to keep on going strong until we got nothing to talk about. And the next episode, I'm going to try to get Cousin Shane on the line. I got a fun idea that I think is going to go over really well. But that's going to do it for this episode of the show. We'll catch you on the next one.